So I mentioned earlier that this morning is going to be a little different, and uh, we're going to talk a lot today about a lot of different things and a lot of different ways uh, that we as a church reach out to our community. I mentioned one earlier today. I mentioned our partnership with Monroe Middle School, and we do quite a bit of things with Monroe. In fact, we recently, uh, right at the beginning of the school year when their teachers were coming back, did a sort of teacher appreciation, staff appreciation kind of thing for them, so there were bagels and that that kind of thing is there, uh, those who served there were coming back, and uh, Julie was at that, Julie was just mentioning to me how much they were like, oh, you know, you, you, oh, you're from, you're from that church, right? And a lot of the teachers there, they may not, they might not uh, know everything about us, but here's what they know. They say, oh, you're from that church that, like, if there's a need, we call and you help. Like, whatever we need, you do stuff. Like you take care of kids, you take care of, you take care of people and families at Christmas, you take care of people with food, you take care of, that's, that's what they know us for. Today I want to talk about some other outreach we're going to do here in the fall. Scripture reminds us in a lot of different places about the need to do outreach or, or uh, the word we would use sort of in church world these days is evangelism, but evangelism, right, just telling people the good news, telling people the story. I love this one verse. I just want to read it to you. Actually, two of them in Colossians chapter 4. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about some ways we can do outreach together this fall. So Colossians chapter 4, I'm going to pick up, uh, let's say verse 5. He says, be wise. This is written to the church, right? Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He's reminding us that it's not only important that we do reach out to others, but how we reach out to others, you know, sort of the tone of the conversation. We have always said in one of our values here at Harvest that we want to be more known for what we're for as a church than what we're against as a church. That doesn't mean that God doesn't stand against sin or that Jesus didn't die for sin. It means that Jesus died for people, that we are for people following Jesus and coming to know Jesus. So all of that said, I want to talk to you about two primary outreach opportunities that we have in the coming weeks. One is through what we're going to call a thank you campaign. And if you're taking notes today, you might notice that at the top of the page, it says thank you with some pictures of first responders and then you might also notice you have a card. I will explain more of that as we go along today, but I do want you to have those out and available. You might even have noticed when you drove up today that on the side of the building over here and the side of the building over here are very large banners that say thank you with the pictures of those first responders and those who serve in uh, the military and medical community and that kind of thing. I want to talk to you about all of that this morning and then after we talk about that for a few minutes, I want to invite uh, some other friends to come from our partners at Northwest Collegiate Ministries. They're our partners on the U of O campus, and uh, they actually partner on college campuses across the Pacific Northwest with us. And so I will invite them to come in a few minutes. But first, to talk about first responder life, just for, just for a few seconds. I'm going to invite uh, Benton Olm to come join us. Most of you know Benton. He is a, uh, our resident uh, fire expert. <laughs> 
Good morning. So Benton's a good, good friend. Benton serves um, as a fire captain here in Eugene. Do I have that right, Captain? Right. Uh, here in Eugene, uh, out of the station over on the west side of town? Right, Station 7 on, on Barger. Okay. Over by Winco. And uh, you do a little bit of volunteering out in Coburg with the, the fire service there as well, right? A little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just a little bit. So, uh, so Ben, I, I just really, 9-11 was yesterday. I think all of our hearts are tuned into that, even online. All of our hearts are um, sensitive to that, and we all know what it means but I want to ask you, and I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot. Um, I wrote down the question because I want to make sure I get it right. The world changed on 9-11. How has serving in the fire service changed from, I don't mean in the technicalities, more the spirit of it. How has it changed from 9-11 to today? And you might need to eat that microphone a little bit just to make sure it picks you up. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh... How has it changed? In some ways, not at all. Uh, I, I was in the fire service uh, for about 13 years before 9-11, uh, the original 9-11, 2001. And, uh, you know, I, I got into this, uh, you know, you probably expect to hear me say something like I got into this because I like to serve people. Well, yes and no. I, I like fighting fire. That's why I got into the job. Uh, serving people happens everywhere. I would guess that every one of you out there, in your way, in your life, in what you do, you serve people. And if you don't, find a way to do it, because that's what we should be about. So I didn't join the fire service to, to serve people, to save lives, anything of that. That all comes with it. But I did it because I love the job. That hasn't changed. Uh, what has changed is 20 years ago yesterday, I lost 343 of my brothers and sisters in the fire service. It's a big number to lose at once. Um, and it was hard. I fortunately, unfortunately, was actually watching when the, the towers went down. And uh, I'll never be the same. I still serve because I, I love to serve. I love my job. But there's a reality, and every firefighter knows it, that when we leave in the morning, go to work we don't know what the day holds for us and we don't know if if we'll make it back to see our family again quite honestly after September 11th it just became real because if you've watched any and I don't know how much time you have uh, but, you're fine uh, if you watch any of the documentaries uh, it was a day like any other day they talk about. We have no idea. The scripture told us this long before September 11th. We don't know what the future holds. Mm -hmm. We don't know what tomorrow 
has in store. So live every day for the Lord. Live every day as if it's your last because you never know. Unfortunately, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I don't live in fear. I don't go to work thinking, oh, this may be the last day. Doesn't cross my mind, but I know it's there. Uh, but we don't do it for the attention. I, I appreciate the signs. What I appreciate most about the signs is that they're generic it, because it, it's for every uh, first responder. Uh, I don't do what I do for attention. I don't, uh, I don't mind being in front of people. I don't like coming up and talking like this. Uh, I, I don't like laying my heart out. But I do it because I guess what I do. Yeah. Uh, so how, is, how have things changed? Uh, I try and live every day a little more loving. Try and, uh, and remember that, uh, again, we have a, a great opportunity, whether it's in the fire service, whether it's in public service, whether it's the garbage man that picks up our garbage. Thank God for the garbage men uh, and women. Because what we do matters. <laughs> Not what I do. What we do matters. And uh, I guess that's how things have changed, is it really has, has hit home that what we do matters every day. And that's the way I want to live my life. It does. I hope... I hope one of the things we all walk away with in uh, today and in the coming weeks is that your service really makes a difference. Not just you because you're Benton Ullman, we know you, but all of your brothers and sisters that serve in so many ways, uh, you know, across the states and, and other ways around the world, all make a difference. So I, I got one other question for you. Um, the pandemic has changed a lot of things as well. <laughs> Um, for most of us. When you listen to brothers and sisters, not only in the fire service, but in the police service or at the hospital, in the ER, or all, all the variety of places you find yourself working with other emergency personnel, what's your sense of their spirit right now as we're going through the pandemic? They're tired. We're tired. Yeah. We're tired. Uh, not to take, take away anything from anyone. We're all living through this pandemic. Uh, and uh, it doesn't matter what side of the coin you're on as far as vaccines or uh, masks or anything. The, the reality of it is whether we like it or not, whether we agree with things or not, whether we agree with one another or not, we're all having to live through it. And uh, as first responders, uh, you know, again, in some ways it hasn't changed. Uh, you know, as a firefighter, as a medical person, uh, 
I deal with bloodborne pathogens. I deal with uh, hazards every day. And I have to wear the proper gear and the proper PPE and, and do everything, you know, to keep myself safe. <clears throat> where, where, it's, where it's hard as a first responder is it's easy for me to look at a burning building and say, I, I know it's dangerous. I've been trained. I'm going in. I'm, I'm willing to do this. It's what I do. I can see a sick person. I'm, I'm willing to deal with this. I'm willing to get the goo on me, whatever. What's hard, and I look back here at my wife and daughter sitting in the back, what's hard is I don't want to take any of that back to them. And that's where this pandemic has been, been hard because, again, if I get exposed, do I bring it back to them? And, again, there's no easy answers. There's no silver bullet that solves everything. But it's a heavy weight yeah. that, uh, that, that, that people live with. And, again, it's not just emergency responders. It's everyone who has to work or come in contact with people in the pandemic. And so, but we're tired. We're tired. But, again, we're resilient. And uh, we'll, we'll carry on. We want to say thank you. Um, you matter because we know you as a friend. Uh, but you also matter because your service to the Lord is not in vain. Sure. And um, in fact, I want to take a moment and I, I want to pray for not only Benton and his family, but, but for all your brothers and sisters in all the different ways you serve. Are you, you good with that? All right. Will you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you for, for Benton and I, I thank you for his service to you in the fire service. And I thank you for the ways that he takes care of others and loves others and the way he plants seeds of encouragement and grace along the way. And Lord, I want to thank you for, um, for not only Benton and the entire Olm family, but I, I want to thank you for those across our city who are serving today to protect us, serving today to heal us, to strengthen us, to make our lives better and to create a city where we can cherish the freedoms that we have. And so, Lord, I pray your protection over Benton and all of those who serve, and I pray your uh, strength in all that they do this week, and I pray that you would come alongside of them in that, in that exhaustion, in that fatigue, and I pray that you would just infuse them with divine power and divine strength so that they can be an extension of your grace. Lord, I thank you personally for Benton and his friendship. And I couldn't begin to count the number of people that he has helped over the years, but I know how he has helped my own soul. All I know is to say thank you. Thank you to him. Thank you to you. Thank you to his family. Thank you, Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. You guys appreciate Benton. Give him. Love you,
You got it. So I want to take just a minute, and I want to explain to you why we were doing this today. Today we're launching a campaign for Harvest. Uh, that that it's, it, I don't know of anybody else that's doing this. A lot of churches are doing things oriented around 9-11 and that kind of thing. For us, this is not a 9-11 recognition as much as it's something new we want to do for the coming season. And we're calling this campaign Thank You. And as you probably noticed again, the big banners on the side of the building, the cards, um, there's actually a web page created to go with this that's on our website. We have some of this information and branding on social media. Here's what we want to do. I recognize in listening to my friends who are first responders and my friends who serve in the military and my friends who, who serve as police officers uh, in various parts of the country or those who serve as doctors and nurses and medical technicians in hospitals and in care facilities, I notice a common theme when I listen to them. And, and uh, I think one of my spiritual gifts is encouragement. And so my desire often when I hear someone say, we're tired, is to want to come alongside and say, keep it up, don't give up, you matter, your service makes a difference. And I think most of us tend to think that they hear that all the time. But I'm not so sure they do. And so I'm encouraging us to do that starting today. Each of you have one of these cards inside the bulletin you got on the way in. There are many more of these cards outside on the welcome table uh, where, where you would have been greeted when you came in today. We want you to take one or more of these cards and do something very simple. We want you to reach out to someone you know who serves. They might serve, as you note on the card, right? Medically, they might serve as a, in the fire service. They might serve in the military. They might serve in a hospital. Any number of ways, uh, law enforcement, that they might serve but we want you to reach out to them. And in a sense, I'd really like it if you'd do it on this card. Although it's totally okay to do it on any thank you cards you've got. But and if you're watching online, we'd love to get you some of these cards so that you too can use these to reach out. So you can contact our office. You can use the digital communication card to say, hey, send me some of these cards. So you can give us a number. We'll send you cards. Um, if you'd like to come by the office and pick up cards, you can do that. The office is open Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday from 9 to 2 uh, and pick up cards. We want to make sure you have cards to be able to do this outreach. Here's what I want you to do with a card. This, this is um, not hard at all, I don't think. We want you to get a card. We want you to write a thank you, but personalize it to a person that serves, someone you know who serves in some capacity, some way. And then I want you to put your money where your mouth is. And I want you to pick up a gift card or some flowers or a fruit basket <laughs> or whatever would feel appropriate for the person or the family you're thanking. And I just want you to deliver it to that person. And in the card, invite them to church. And if God opens the door, invite them to Jesus. But invite them. When they say, hey, why are you doing this? Because I know a guy who serves. I know a guy who sacrifices. 
I know a guy who laid down his life. So again, this isn't complicated. We're going to come alongside of you and do this in a variety of ways. We're planning collectively as a church to do this with some different things in the neighborhood in the coming weeks. The, the firehouse that's down the street that serves the Sheldon region, uh, various other places around us. We're going to do what we can to deliver a little more than just one gift card to some of those who serve, you know, a basket of goodies or, or something of that nature, because we really want in this season to say thank you to those who are discouraged, but whose service makes all the difference. That seems simple. If that put your money where your mouth is thing is difficult or challenging, or you're in a place where you can't do it, talk with me. I'll find a way to help. I know people who can help. But I really want you, more than anything, to have a spirit that says to those who serve, you matter, you make a difference. Don't give up. As I said to Benton, their service in the Lord is not in vain. And I agreed with Benton and Julie for one other rule. I want to make sure I don't forget to mention it. The person or the people to whom you write these cards cannot be Benton and Julie only or Rachel only. Because they didn't do this today to get all of us to say, wait, I know somebody. He was on stage Sunday. Is that fair? As, as, as they said to me before, and Benton said today, they don't do it for... In fact, I don't think anybody who serves does it for that. But I do think sometimes it really helps someone to come alongside you, you know, put, your arm, put their arm around you and say, you know what, you matter to me. You make a difference to me. So will you do that? Reach out. And we're going to remind you of this over and over and over over the next six, eight weeks. In fact, uh, Halloween happens following a Sunday this year. We're going to book in this campaign uh, with an event on Halloween that reaches out to families and kids in our community. And we would love to invite the first responder community to be a part of that and all of those kinds of things. And you'll get more details about all of that to come. But we just want to do what we can to make a difference. With that said, I want to invite some other friends. We're just going to make a really hard transition here. So imagine there's a, like a commercial break here, and then we come back, and we're on something totally different yet related. I'm going to invite some friends to come from Northwest Collegiate Ministries to come and take the stage. And we're going to talk a little bit about Northwest Collegiate Ministries and what they do and uh, who these guys are. So you guys come and grab some microphones and... Benton, thank you. You really do make a difference. Rachel, thank you. You really make a difference. You really do. You really do. So, so let's just start out here. This is Garrett, Sarah Grace, and Warren. I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves and just tell us uh, for a few minutes about Northwest Collegiate Ministries. And then um, after you guys share for a minute, I'll explain you know, how we got connected and... and all that, and then, and then we'll go from there. Is that good? Cool. All right, so who wants to start out? Sure. Um, so my name is Garrett Harmon, um, and I'm the director um, at U of O. Um, I'm actually a University of Oregon graduate, um, so yesterday was a good day for us. What year um, did you graduate? Uh, 2017. So I've been out 
for four years now, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, so I've now served at University of Oregon. Uh, this will be my third year. Um, and so I got connected with these guys, so I'll pass the torch. Well, my name is Sarah Grace Davey now. This is my new husband, Warren Davey. <laughs> um, so we got married three months ago and moved to Oregon two months ago for Warren to serve on staff at Northwest Collegiate Ministries. So I'm not actually on staff, but you know I'm deeply involved because I've moved across the country for it. <laughs> Missionary life, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so I grew up in Texas, we moved here, and now Warren is on staff, and he can tell you more about what he actually will be doing. So, so like she said, my name is Warren Davey. I, uh, I'm from Louisiana originally, but I went to school at Texas A&M. I worked for two years there with the uh, Baptist Student Ministry. Uh, it's kind of similar to what Northwest Collegiate Ministry does, which is how I found out about the Northwest Collegiate Ministry. Um, working through them, I found out about this opportunity to share the gospel up in the Pacific Northwest. And I was like, you know, it sounds like they have better weather than uh, Texas does. I'm glad we did it because I'm, it's like 100 and something over there right now. So uh, no complaints for me. But Sarah Grace and I met in college and uh, got married and moved up here. That's really cool. That story sounds uh, vaguely familiar to me. My wife and I also met in college. And, and uh, Garrett called me one day, or maybe I called him. I don't remember who it was. And he said, I've got this couple I think you really need to meet. And they're, they're great people. And Warren and Sarah Grace have actually been our guests here at Harvest over the last, I don't know, six weeks or so, something in that range. So you guys might have met them already. And um, I'm sort of hopeful that they plant themselves here at Harvest, that we become their church family, not just partners in uh, ministry together kind of thing. And so tell us a little bit about what NCM does on campus. What, what does it look like to do outreach on campus? Why do you do what you do? And, and maybe, you know, has it changed a little bit, just a little bit in the last year and a half with a pandemic? So um, that question's open to whoever, however you guys want to answer that. Sure. Um, so what we get to do really primarily are the goal is to share the gospel with students. So the reality is University of Oregon uh, is about 23,000 college students, um, and we estimate only about 2% are actually followers of Jesus. And so two, uh, you 2%. Said, you yeah. said two. And so we, uh, if I did my math right, that's about 460 students out of 23,000. Um, we also serve at Lane Community College, uh, which is another 26,000. Uh, that number we're not exactly sure, but we're estimating it's probably pretty similar to U of O in about 2% to 4%. Because that's, that's honestly the college av average across the whole nation, um, but here it's a little bit less. And so um, really our primary goal is to share the gospel. And then once somebody becomes a believer, here's the gospel, we kind of walk them through discipleship. Um, and one of those big components is connecting them into a local church. And so uh, wherever us as staff go and, and the churches that partner alongside of us, uh, we want students to get connected into a local church, a local body. That way you guys can love them and care for them um, and point them back to Jesus as well. Um, and so I don't know if you guys want to add something. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think that aspect of discipleship is so important because there's a lot of, uh, ministries, a lot of churches that have this vision of we're just going to share the gospel with somebody. As soon as they say, yes, I believe, great, we did our job, good to go, have a good life. 
You know, and there's no follow-up. There's no discipleship. There's no training in godliness. And so for us, that's a really important concept of not only do we want people to say, Jesus is my Lord, but we want to teach them and grow with them and learn how to live out that belief. It's not enough to just say, Jesus is my Lord. We want to also help them live out as if Jesus is their Lord. And so that's what uh, discipleship is in very large ways for us. That's awesome. That's awesome. One of the questions Warren and Sarah Grace asked me, we sat down for lunch a number of weeks ago, and they they said, what does discipleship look like at Harvest? And I gave them this long (laughs) and thorough answer kind of thing, because we've been working on how we disciple people, and a disciple, right, is a person who who follows Jesus, right? A person who, who lives as Jesus lives, who loves as Jesus loves, and even more importantly, loves who Jesus loves, so we talked at the three loves, we talked about, you know, Bible bookmarks, we talked about all the various groups and ministries and teams and things we do to come alongside. And so I guess um, the one other question I want to make sure I ask you guys is, is how can we partner with you with what you're doing on campus? Because obviously there are a lot of students who sort of see religion is irrelevant to this stage of their life. And we want to show them, you want to show them that Jesus is always relevant. And um, so, so how can we partner with you in the coming days, weeks, months, years, for that matter? Um, so I think one of the most powerful things a local church can do, and specifically Harvest as well, um, a, lo- a lot of churches have this idea that, oh, if we're going to serve college students, we have to go get a college pastor, and we have to set up a college ministry, and we have to have this like separate service where all the real adults go to big church and maybe the college students go to some other service or some night service. And, and those can work fine, right? They're, I'm not saying anything bad happens in that, but the way I see it and from my experience as uh, uh, from somebody who was in college is that college students don't really need that time of isolation very much. Um, when, when they're in school every day of the week, they have their college friends. They're surrounded by a college community. I think a lot of what college students need is mentorship, Uh, those older people who can come alongside and say, hey, you just became a believer. I can walk alongside you and show you what it looks like to be married as a believer, to be a father or a mother as a believer, to serve your community well in a job that it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus, but how I serve and love well in my job. Um, And so really for me, when I see the local church, I see the future of where our college students are going to be, right? And so for me, one of the most important things a church can do College ministries are great, college pastors are great, but one of the most important things a church can do is be an example and have that personal one-on-one mentorship relationship with college students. So for me, that would be a huge way Harvest could get involved, would be offering a vision of what the future could look like to these college students who are new believers. Yeah, yeah, I go on that. And so when a college student comes here, I think one of the biggest things, I remember as a senior in college, I was uh, kind of going through a church uh, switch at the time because the church I was part of kind of shut down. Um, but I, I went to New Hope for the first time, and for a month, they fed me every Sunday. Um, and I was, I'm a college guy, so uh, for me, that meant they loved me and they cared for me. And so I connected that church and I, because I, I felt loved. And so I think one of the simplest things um, is, as Warren and Sarah Grace are bringing college students, um, as we're bringing college students, as we're pointing them to harvest, just take them out to lunch. Um, maybe have them in your home, care for them. Uh, that's going to make, that's going to show love and, and a really hands-on approach for college students because they desire a relationship with you guys too. Uh, for most of our freshmen, they're away from family, they're away from their parents, their grandparents, uh, from their little sisters and brothers and from their pets. And so they want all that here as well. Um, and so just being their family in Eugene, 
man, that's going to make a world of difference. And that's really going to, as we share the gospel with students, uh, that's going to show a really practical side of the gospel and that love side. And so um, I think that's a big part of it too. I think that makes a lot of difference. You know, it, it, one of the things we've talked openly about is, is giving students the ability to see what church life really looks like, you know, what it means to plug into a church and be a part of community and have people who, who know your name and have your back and people who lift you up and pray for you. We want to do all of that, but that requires something of us. Just like when we do baby dedication, kids' dedication, it's an opportunity to say to parents, hey, we're cheering for you, but it's also an opportunity for us as a church to say, hey, we're here to help. Like, we'll, we'll come alongside of you, and we'll welcome, and we'll, we'll cheerlead, and we'll serve with you, and we'll provide opportunities, and all the things that go along with that. And so that, that's what we want to do, um, quite honestly. So, so Warren, you... Sarah Grace, you want to say any more? I don't want to cut, I don't want to cut anybody off. Yeah, <laughs> I totally get that. So Warren's going to share with us just a little bit more um, about evangelism and outreach and that kind of thing, and then I'm going to come back, and then I want to pray for NCM and, and pray for all of us. Is, is that cool? Sounds like fun. All right, so... Can I put this if, mic here? Can I just enunciate? Do I need the mic? Uh, to be... For the online service to pick I'll, you up. I'll, Sorry, I'll you got okay. to do that. I'll do one-handed then. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. Let me get set up first. So like, uh, like Brian was saying, I'm Warren. Um, you know, as I was kind of preparing to talk today, I had like all sorts of like introductions, who I am, but I mean, you guys kind of just heard that, so why don't we kind of jump into it then? Um, Brian kind of asked me to talk about evangelism and what we're gonna be doing outreaching on campus at the University of Oregon at Lane. Um, and as I started thinking through this, as I started kind of processing this, one thing I kind of realized is that every world religion, every worldview has two essential components, right? Something's wrong, how do we fix it? It's like a, it's like a hospital visit, right? And so different doctors you go to, different religions you go to are going to tell you different things, right? So you go to Buddhism and they'll tell you, well, there's all this pain and suffering in the world, that's a problem. The solution is if you rid yourself of all desire, you're not going to have pain anymore, you're not going to suffer anymore. With Islam, right, the idea is we're all born as Muslims, we're all born into this, we should worship Allah, but we have a problem of forgetfulness. So if you pray five times a day, you're going to remember to worship Allah, right? And that's kind of the mindset. Well, with Christianity, if you don't understand what the problem is, you're not going to understand what the solution is. If you don't understand why, what your diagnosis is, when the doctor tells you, here's what you need to do in order to be cured, you're not going to understand why he's saying that. So one of the things I wanted to focus on today is understanding what that problem is that Christianity is addressing. Uh, and so I'm going to be reading from Hosea 4. Uh, I know it's an Old Testament prophet, kind of a smaller one, but I think it has a really powerful message of what exactly is going on and, uh, and how Christianity, how Christ offers that solution to that problem. Uh, so turn with me to Hosea 4, if you would. And uh, if while you're turning there, um, let me give you a little bit of background on what's going on with Hosea. Uh, so Hosea is this book where God is, in chapter 1 through 3, right before chapter 4, uh, God gives this extended metaphor, this extended life lesson on how he views his relationship with us, right? He has a problem with the nation of Israel specifically uh, because they've abandoned him, right? They've left him behind. Uh, the way that he explains it in Hosea 4, uh, he has this prophet Hosea, he has this guy go and marry this woman. And this woman then turns around and 
Um, I know we might have some younger ears in the audience. So she, she sells herself out uh, to, as her living, as, as, as an act of unfaithfulness to her husband. And that's exactly the metaphor that God uses to address how we live, right? This idea that we are unfaithful to him in pursuing other gods, in pursuing our own selfish desires. Um, and so when chapter four picks up, the metaphor is ending, right? Chapter three ends with the metaphor. And so now God is going to explain what the metaphor means, right? So Hosea four, chapter one, uh, Hosea chapter four, verse one, it says, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. So we're going to stop right there real quick. When you see the word controversy there, it's not that God is just airing out his complaints. It's not just that, oh yeah, God has an issue with what's going on, right? The idea is this is a court case, right? This isn't just God complaining and venting. When God says, I have a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, what he's saying is, this is a prosecution. This is the issue I have. And so if we want to see what the issue God has with us, if we want to see what that diagnosis, that problem we have with our heart, we'll keep reading. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love. There is no knowledge of God in the land. This is the problem that the Bible is addressing, right? This problem that we have abandoned our love for God, that we have turned away from him and we lack knowledge of him. Uh, it kind of reminds me when in Matthew, Jesus, somebody asked Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replies, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, right? And so this is the commandment that really matters. The one that Jesus says is the most important commandment. And the problem is there is no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. See, the human sin that we all suffer from is pride, right? We, we look at God, we see him on his throne, and we think, man, I can do that job better, right? You, you think of Adam and Eve in the garden. God told them, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you deciding for yourself what is good and evil. I want you to obey me. We look at that and we say, oh, well, I can totally decide for myself what's right and wrong. I can do that. There's, I don't need God to tell me what's right and wrong. I know what's right and wrong. I can do it on my own. I don't need God to guide and direct me. I can guide and direct my own path. And so when we put ourselves on the level of God, when we put ourselves in the place of God as our own lawgivers instead of obeying his law, when we tell him, I need you out of the picture, I'm going to be the one calling the shots, that's what the Bible calls sin. That's what the Bible calls rebellion. We've taken God from his proper place and we put ourselves there instead. And so that's why God has so much trouble with that. And I think a lot of times we put ourselves in that place of God because we don't recognize his holiness. We don't recognize how truly spectacular he is. We either have a small view of him or we have a big view of us, right? Somebody's view is distorted if you think that you can be on the same level as God. That's a problem, right? Um, and so if you want to know, well, how do we know that this is actually the problem? How do we know this is the case? Uh, that's where Hosea 4 chapter, verse 2 comes in. And it says, uh, there's no knowledge of God in the land. There's swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. When you read the Bible, right, you see all these specific sins. Specifically here he lists murder, lying, adultery, stealing, committing adultery, right? These all are symptoms of the issue. But it's not the reason that God is angry. God isn't angry because people murder. He's angry because we have a heart that would lead us to murder. He's not angry that we lie or cheat or steal. He's angry that we have a heart that would do that. His prosecution isn't saying you are lying. His prosecution is saying you don't love me and I know you don't love me because you lie. When, when you look at the Bible, when you see all these laws and commandments, I don't want you to think of the laws as a to-do list. This isn't a checklist, right? This is a mirror. It's supposed to expose how we live. 
The Apostle Paul puts it really well in Romans 7, verse 7. He says, what shall we say? Is the law sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Right? So Paul specifically uses the sin of coveting. But Paul's idea is, the law clarifies for me what the issue is. Right? Think of it like going to a doctor's office. You go to a doctor and the doctor says, hey, I've noticed you're coughing, you've lost your taste, and you have a fever. I'm going to diagnose you with COVID. And so you go home and you say to yourself, oh man, this cough is giving me COVID. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to hold my breath and I'm going to try my hardest not to cough. <clears throat> you, you might quiet your cough. You might even stifle some of the coughs. But eventually, one, you're going to cough. Two, you're not going to cure your COVID, right? Like just because you cough less, you could even take cough syrup if you want and make your scratchy throat feel a little better. That's not going to cure you of your disease. And so when you read the Bible, when you see all these laws and commandments and everything the Bible says to do, I don't want you to think of it as a checklist. I don't want you to think of it as a, a to-do list. That's like going to the doctor and saying, hey, I, I, I have a cough, I have a fever, and I uh, don't have taste. I'm going to work on getting my taste back. I'm going to work on beating this fever. I'm going to work on not coughing anymore. It, it's silly, right? It doesn't work. And yet that's how so many people approach the Bible, is as a checklist of what to do instead of symptoms addressing a disease. So I think this goes back to the problem of looking how religions view the problem, because Christianity is unique in this. Christianity is the only religion that says human beings are fundamentally broken and cannot save themselves. Any other religion you look at will tell you, okay, well, in, in Islam, humans are forgetful, but by our own effort, we can go back to what God intended. In Buddhism, right, we have this suffering problem, we have this pain problem, but, I mean, human beings aren't, like, fundamentally broken. If you work on this, if you follow our treatment plan, if you follow all the steps all the way through, you can solve your own problem, right? But Christianity comes along and says, no, you don't have a heart that needs cleaning. You don't have a heart that needs a, a couple rough edges that need to be sanded out. You have a heart that needs to be replaced. In Ezekiel 36, God gives this uh, promise. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of st stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, right? The idea isn't that we need physical therapy. The idea is we need heart transplant. We don't need to fix the heart that's already in us. We need a totally new heart. And if you're coming at Christianity with the understanding of this is a moral system, if you're coming at this with the idea that this is a good ethical system, it's not going to make sense. I'm sure all of you have seen that bumper sticker that says coexist, right? I think a lot of that comes from a misunderstanding of what Christianity is. Because you talk to a lot of those people and they'll say, oh, well, religion's all about the same thing. It's how to be a better person, right? The idea is you want to, all religions have the same focus, but that's not true, right? Because if that were the case, then when Jesus says, do not lie, cheat, or steal, well, how is that any better than when Confucius says, do not lie, cheat, or steal, or Mohammed says, do not lie, cheat, or steal, they're all saying the same thing, so all religions are equal, right? But that's the problem, is that Christianity isn't about ethics or morals or telling you not to lie, cheat, or steal. The idea is changing your heart, having a new heart that doesn't even want to lie, cheat, or steal. And so if you still have that desire to lie, cheat, or steal, maybe that should be an evidence that, hey, something's wrong with the heart, something needs to be changed and fixed, right? And we have a lot of people who are passionate about social justice, social issues. I just want to point out what Hosea 4.3 says. It says, so because you have all these problems, because you have no faithfulness, no steadfast love, you have lying, swearing, murder, it says, therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. 
right? You see this pattern in scripture repeated over and over and over. James puts it really well. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Those desires, when, it is, when they have conceived, give birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. That's what Hosea 1 through, 4, 1 through 3 is saying, right? We have this heart problem. This heart problem causes us to sin, and the sin problem causes mourning in the land, right? So that's kind of the idea that goes on here, is that if you want to see a better world, if you want to see, uh, if you care about social issues and you want to see police officers who are full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, well, guess what? Those are fruit of the Spirit, right? If you want to see that in the world, you need to not address the symptoms. You need to address the heart problem that's going on. Um, in, in, so going through the rest of Hosea, is anybody above this, right? Is anybody able to fulfill this? Is, you might have this question, okay, well, maybe some people have total bad hearts that need to be replaced, but maybe some people have you know, good hearts. Some people just need a, a little sanding off on the rough edges. Uh, verses four through six, Hosea says, let no one contend, let no one accuse, right? Basically what Hosea is saying, let nobody stand apart, let nobody stand on God's side and join the prosecution and say, yeah, look at those people. I'm going to contend against those people, right? God, God's not saying I want anybody on my side. God's saying everybody's on this side, right? It says, uh, let no one accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. My prosecution is against the priest. You shall stumble by day, and the prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your country. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from bringing priests to me. Very much reminds me of what Jesus talks about with the Pharisees of his day, right? The priests and prophets of his day. Um, when in talking to them, he says, Woe to you, scribes and priests. You are like a whitewashed tomb, which outwardly appears beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Right? There's lots of religions out there that offer good morals, that offer good ethics. And all that's doing, even in the best systems, is just cleaning up on the outside what is broken on the inside. And so with that, we need to look at not fixing people's morality. We, we don't go to U of O campus, and our goal isn't to get people to stop partying. If we got every college student on U of O campus to stop partying, to stop drinking, to stop lying, to stop sleeping around, that wouldn't be a kingdom victory. That wouldn't be our goal as NCM. That wouldn't be any good. What, what use would it do if people stop partying but still don't worship Jesus? That doesn't fix the problem, right? Um, to look at how serious the problem is, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because I'm running short on time. Uh, but Hosea 4, 16, uh, 16 and 17 ends the chapter like this. It says, like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? And then verse 17 really hit me when I read it. It said, Israel is joined to idols. Leave him alone. I didn't really understand what that meant until March 2020. Right? I've never gone through quarantine. I'd never known what it's like to be separated. But, but read this again. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. That's an idea of quarantine, right? That's an idea of he is lost to sin. Don't even go there. I, I think a beautiful example of this uh, is, well, I say beautiful example. This is where Hosea ends with the problem. So now we're going to talk about the solution. That's where it gets really beautiful, right? Because you see this exact concept in the New Testament, Jesus is the God who goes up to lepers, right? These people who have this crazy disease, this skin disease, they have to yell, unclean, unclean, don't approach me. Jesus walks up directly to them and he embraces them, right? Jesus walks up to them and, and has the solution. He walks up and cures them, right? Um, people ask me all the time what I don't, if there's anything I don't understand about Christianity, if there's any questions I could ask God, what would you ask God? The one thing I always say is 
how could God love me? Why does God love me? That he loves me, I understand. I, I see the cross, I see Jesus died on the cross, and I know that he loved me. But why he would love me? When I deserve to be left alone, when I deserve to be quarantined, when I rebel against him, when I mock him, right? By saying that I can take his place as God, that's a mockery of God, that's rebellion in my heart. How he could say that he wants to love me? Man, I just, <laughs> there's no explanation, right? There's just nothing you can say to that. Um, and so I want you to know that when we're on campus, when we're talking to people, we're not just encouraging them to live better lives. We're encouraging to, them to come and know Jesus. Um, and so three applications. So I didn't say all this just to make you feel bad. I don't want you to go home and be like, man, I deserve quarantine. This is terrible. I'm a, such a bad person. All right, that's not the goal of why I'm here. But there's three applications I want to give you. Uh, the first one is knowing this should cause you to worship God more. Um, there's this verse from, from Luke where, where Jesus is talking to um, the, this woman who, like Hosea's wife, was involved in the same profession. Um, and he says to her, I tell you, though her sins are many, she has been forgiven. But I tell you, he who has been forgiven little loves little. Right? And you kind of see this throughout scripture. If you think that your sin isn't that bad, if you think to yourself, oh, I mean, like, I had a few rough edges, but I wasn't that bad, you're not going to appreciate what the cross means. You're not going to appreciate what it means that God would sacrifice himself for you. If you think that you deserve to be saved, if you think that you in any way contributed to being saved, your worship's going to fall flat eventually. You're going to look at God and be like, oh, well, like, God's cool and all, but, like, he just needed to give me a little boost. God's a, God's a teammate on my team, right? And, and if you approach it with that idea of not understanding just how far you've been saved from, if you've been forgiven little, you are going to love little, Right, and so I want you to think about Hosea, and I want you to, well, I mean, Hosea 4, 6 says it well, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, right? When you have knowledge of how far God has gone to save you, when you have knowledge of what exactly that means, man, it changes your worship forever, right? Like, that's just incredible. Second application, number two takeaway I want you to have is evangelism, right? I think a lot of times we have this idea of fixing people up from where they are, and then that's evangelism, right? And so we have a tendency to go out and share Christianity without actually sharing Christ. We tell people, hey, uh, you need to stop sleeping around. You need to stop going to parties. You need to stop getting drunk. And we expect that is going to save them. And that's not what it's about. Um, there's this book I'm reading. Uh, it's called Blue Like Jazz. It's this guy talking about his experience with Christianity. And he says, if I shared Christianity with somebody, it felt almost like I was trying to get somebody to agree with me rather than meet God. I no longer share anything about Christianity. And I want to pause right there. That sounds kind of weird, right? He's like not sharing Christianity. What, what's he talking about? But he says, I don't share Christianity, but I love talking about Jesus and a real relationship with him. Listen, guys, your neighbors, your coworkers, your people on campus, they know that sin is bad, right? There's a reason they feel shame. No matter who they are, when they're waking up in somebody else's bed in the morning, they feel some degree of shame, right? They're, that is shameful. They don't need you to tell them, hey, you should feel shame about not lying, cheating, stealing, whatever it is, right? They already know that. What they don't need is you condemning them and telling them, hey, you are a terrible person because you do this. What they need is to hear and say, man, Jesus is somebody who takes my shame. He takes my burdens. You're right. I do deserve shame. That is what I deserve. But God's grace is that he gives me more than shame, 
right? He takes away that shame and gives me new life. And so when you're sharing the gospel with your coworkers or people on campus or anybody at all, I don't want you to focus on, hey, what you're doing is wrong. I want you to focus on there's a God who offers so much more. And the final takeaway I want to give you is this idea of rest and assurance we have. Because it's beautiful. If we can't contribute to our own salvation, if we cannot contribute anything at all, then we have the promise of rest, right? Uh, I almost did a whole talk on what rest means in the Bible, and because it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, but I want to share something from Hebrews 4, 1 through 3. And it's a, it's a long, longer passage, so I'll just summarize it real quick. Uh, but in it, Jesus says, The promise of rest still stands we who have believed have entered into God's rest, right? The idea isn't that rest is something we eventually get in heaven. The idea isn't that Sabbath is something we get to enjoy someday in the future. The idea is we have rest today if we believe. We have eternal life today if we believe, right? The gospel isn't Jesus takes our heart of stone and then stops, right? Like that's not the gospel. That's a halfway gospel because if all you have is a blank slate, you still don't have the righteousness of Christ, the gospel is he takes our heart of stone and he gives us a new heart, right? The gospel isn't Jesus forgives us and then stops. That's a halfway gospel. Jesus forgives us and gives us his righteousness, right? And so there's rest we have from the need to work, from the need to earn God's forgiveness, from the need to earn God's love, from the need of becoming personally worthy of having God's presence with us, right? Not to say that we don't do works, um, but they're done for a different reason. I really like Romans 12.1, uh, where Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies as a holy sacrifice, right? He, what he's saying is, I, I appeal to you to live good, pure, righteous lives. This is your true and proper worship, right? These pure and righteous lives, living correctly, not lying, not cheating, not stealing, not murdering, all these things aren't going to earn you God's love, but it's a response of love saying to God, God, I love you. I'm going to try to act the way that you would have me act. I mean, so those are the three takeaways I want you to have today. I want you to remember that you have rest and assurance in Christ. You have a, a rest from your works. I want you to remember when you talk to your coworkers, I'm not presenting Christianity as an ethical system. I am approaching them with a God who can actually save. And I want you to remember to worship God for what he's done in your life, for what he's done to change and transform you. So I'm going to bring Brian back up, and uh, here at Harvest, uh, we always do two prayers, right? Um, and if you've been here before, you know what that is. We have the, the prayer of salvation and the prayer of discipleship, and so I'm going to pass the mic off back to Pastor Brian to do that. Warren, thanks, man. That was great. I appreciate your uh, sharing your gifts with us, man. It's really, really good, really encouraging, and... Um, I appreciate you sharing your gifts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody say thank you. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I don't know. I was sitting in the back. I was reminded just now of uh, Brian King when I was college age, and I would get invited to go guest preach somewhere, and I would have my notes sort of scattered out, and I thought I had this much time, and they left me this much time, and I apologize for that. <laughs> It's good to get to come along on the other side of this and just say, hey, man, we're cheering you on. We want to be your team. We want to have your back. 
And uh, to all of you guys, we want to partner with you. So, so I am going to pray two prayers today. First, a prayer of salvation. The second is a prayer of discipleship, a uh, prayer of application. And as we pray that prayer of application today, I want to return again to praying for um, Northwest Collegiate Ministries and uh, for those we know that need Jesus. Are you good with that? All right, so prayer of salvation. If you need Jesus today, you can pray with me just like this. Dear Jesus, I recognize that I am not only broken, but I am sinful. And I need you, Jesus. I thank you that you came and died and rose again. So please forgive my sin. But even more, please take over my life. And give me your heart, Jesus. And make me like you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. If that's you today, we would love to know that. You can let somebody know who invited you. You can let somebody know uh, online with a digital communication card, in person with a communication card. You can let me know right after service. I would love to hear that. We would love to celebrate that decision with you. It's the most important decision anyone would ever make. And Warren, I appreciate you making the gospel so clear today why we need Jesus. I want to pray a second prayer, a prayer of discipleship, a prayer of application, and doing so, I want you to pray with me. Will you do that? Okay. Jesus, Lord, thank you again for uh, Benton and for all of our first responder friends. Lord, we pray strength and encouragement into all of their lives. We pray that you would show us how to help them Know Jesus even better. And Lord, we pray for our partners at Northwest Collegiate Ministries that you would infuse them with clarity of the gospel and with relational opportunities to show people who Jesus really is. as they reach people for Jesus, students, we commit that we will love them and we will help them serve and we will help them grow. And Lord, we pray for all our friends who need Jesus. Lord, you draw them. We will serve them. Jesus, I pray this with all my friends in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for sharing again. Ben, thank you for sharing as well. Let's stand as we continue to sing. Remember, we're not passing a basket these days, so we take cards in the back, offerings in the back. Let's stand as we worship.